Everybody, 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 drop your stop, 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 Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. And we're here with our Survivor 45 post-mortem. It's like we didn't even take a break. We're back Thursday morning, just like we're recapping an episode of Survivor 45. So you can't have missed us that much. We're here to take a look back on the season holistically and to answer your questions more importantly. I'm so excited to do this. Yeah, because we did this with 44, and it's somehow like one of our most listened to episodes. So like pressure's on for this one. Um, But yeah, it's it's just great to, at the end of the year, look back, hear from the listeners. We got so many voicemails. I am going to apologize in advance. I'm not going to be able to play them all. But I've got them all, and we're going to work through them as much as we can. Wow. Which kind of sort of puts a cap on a a larger point that you and I have been going back and forth about, which is that, like, and I know we've said this on the pod, and it's somewhat indulgent, but I think we actually, the reason why we bring it up the way we do is because we're so grateful, but, like, it's just so odd for us. I think I speak on both of our behalves um, that this podcast is as popular as it is because in, in our minds, Survivor is so niche, right? Like, it's like this, it's already a show that, like, not a lot of people watch, and then it's like, we're a podcast about the show, and then we're a gay podcast about an already niche subject, or that so That doesn't have any former players on it, besides Ricard on the Australian Survivor recaps, but, you know. Yeah. And yet, somehow, um, we have found this audience, and, and not only do we have, like, lots and lots of listeners, which is amazing. But we sort of formed this community, um, especially over on the Instagram page, co- co-run, I've got the keys to, uh, <laughs> yeah. by, Sean and, uh, by Sean and I. And, and so it's just so heartwarming and unbelievable and fulfilling and joyous that, that you all have not only like come along for the ride, but been such like active participants in the cinematic world that is this podcast and it makes me even more excited <laughs> for for the live show in 2024 yeah which is happening up soon. Coming yeah up coming soon. up coming up um <laughs> and i'm really excited about that because i'm excited for us to all be in community together yeah well we didn't get any questions about this but i'll ask you so <laughs> what what are we doing next year because uh, we promised a Survivor 45 premiere party. Uh, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, we then pushed it off to 46. And then I started to hear some hesitation from you about that. So, like, once and for all, okay. what is happening next year? Okay, so here's the thing. I have a wedding coming up in uh-huh. April, which is going to occupy a lot of my time. And then also... I haven't told anyone this, but I'm doing another chaos dinner um, that's happening in the first quarter, first third of the year. Uh So those two things are going to be happening. So my proposal to you, oh, by the way, everyone, I'm sick. I'm I'm sick right now, which is why my voice sounds the way it does. Um, My proposal to you would be that we do a 47 premiere party. Okay. Okay. But 
as I've long argued, I'm not a big fan of watch parties in general. I don't find I them know. to be an effective thing, but I also understand that it sort of like gives like a unifying aspect to like the why of the event as opposed uh-huh. to us just doing like a random get together. So let's say for right now we're doing a 40 a season 47 viewing party, but like are we watching the premiere all together? It just feels like such a waste of time. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like we're all together in community. Yeah. Why are we watching something when we could be like talking? So I don't know. Part of me is like, do we just frame it more as like a live show in the fall? And maybe it's timed loosely to 47 so we can have some, you know, some tie into something that's like topical, but like, yeah. I just don't think this podcast is really about topicality. Like that's not really like the basis of our podcast. Right. right. As we talk about the end of 45, but I will say that you floated this idea over on the Patreon that, well, do we want a watch party of a current season or do we want to pick a favorite episode from the past, say something like, I, I mean, this isn't the one because I think this has already recently been done um, with the Eric Reichenbach vote out of Micronesia. Do we just like take an episode like that and watch it with, you know, fans of this podcast who are very much inclined to iconic older season moments? Okay, there's that, <laughs> that idea that I did Because before. that could happen, like, in the early summer, you know? Right. That would be fun. Right. Or do we do something that's, like, a clip show? And well, it's sort of like... okay, yeah, I know. You floated that idea. I love that idea. That's a lot of work for me. No, I see a world <laughs> in which we outsource. Oh, okay. Part of well, reaching yeah. this stratosphere of success... Yeah. <laughs> Is the piles of money we're rolling in? From the <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but really, there there is <clears throat> there is a world in which we have help with that. Mm-hmm. So that's just something to put out there. Yeah. But but anyway, needless to say, I, I ca- we are committed to doing a live experience in. <laughs> no, why are you laughing? <laughs> no, it's just funny the drop your buffs live experience. We are committed to. I would say it would happen in summer or early fall of 2024. Okay. Patreons will have the early access to to the knowledge of when, um, and also early (laughs) access to tickets. Yeah, they'll be snapping up all the tickets, so you'll have to go over to the Patreon uh, and join there. Okay. Well, maybe we should just get into it because we have a lot of voice messages that I want to get to. And I thought, you know, us being... A gay survivor podcast, sometimes a thirsty survivor podcast. I would start with a little thirst because we got a lot of messages about a certain contestant. But can we just, uh, uh, what's it called? Table set uh, to uh-huh. say that like I have only heard two of the questions okay. that are potentially coming down the pipeline. So Sean has vetted and heard all of these questions and is going to give a more measured and considered response. I am, I am live. I am off the cuff. Okay, let's not say that I'm going to be giving measured <laughs> responses. Like, I've heard the questions. It doesn't mean that they've sunk in. Fair. Okay, here we go. First one from Francis. Hey, Sean and Evan. This is Francis from DC. My question has less to do with 45 as a retrospective and more to do with a beef that I've had with casting ever since I listened to your rather unimpeachable episode about the hottest men on Survivor. As a bearded gay man myself, I've noticed that there's a distinct lack of uh, 
bears and otters and hirsute men who have been cast on Survivor. We had Jake this season and other than Burton in the past, I can barely think of any hairy hot men who have been on the island. So my question to you is, does my conspiracy theory have legs or is this something I've made up in my head? Look forward to your thoughts. Harry well, Men on Survivor. Uh, let's talk about one Rupert Bonham. Bonham? Yes. Okay. So I just and like I'm the OG trying... bear of Survivor. And, and LOL that you mentioned Burton as a bear. Because I don't think Burton qualifies as a bear. No, but we need to distinguish yeah, he's bears. He's going a little broader. Bears. He's going a little okay, broader okay. than bear. He's saying bear, hairy, what, like, you know. Okay. But We're also, did we not just have. Um, who was the guy that got medevaced in 43? The gay? Fell off the rock, Matt. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's a bear, uh, and of course, like Richard Hatch, right? Obviously. And so, I think that what Francis is getting at is like because I have heard this question a couple times, right? So I've been th- I, this is one I have thought about uh, <sighs> is that he wants hot for him, hot for him, hairy guys, right? And uh-huh. so, yeah, we've got the Rupert who like. I can say is not hot for me. Mm-hmm. Certainly hot for some people, like his. Well, wife, you know who Laura. Rupert's hot for, Laura, Ooh. his wife. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like, I I sort of get where he's coming from. Like, if I if I take Burton as the example, there's not a lot of Burtons on Survivor. There are not. Yeah, we've 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 talked about this. This is because if we talk about like the hair, the muscle bears, right? The muscle hairy guys. Uh, usually, the muscle guys are hairless. Mm-hmm. Hairy hair or hairless. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you're doing there. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you, Francis. Um, which, by the way, how much do we love that name? That is just such a good name, um, Francis Ha. Um, Francis Sternhagen. Francis is just like a very dignified name. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, it's but yeah, you bring up money. a good point. I do think we've had this conversation at large, not just around the subject of bears, but it's like Survivor has a way of sort of, I think, I almost want to say unintentionally, like casting, like when going after an archetype, they tend to cast the same type, type of person within the archetype. Mm-hmm. Um but I do think that, I don't know, I don't want to say it's unconscious, but I don't think they're, like, specifically, like, for instance, in the past, when they were gunning for, like, your coal types, I don't think they were specifically, like, saying, all of it, this guy must be hairless. I just think that they were, like, they saw the blueprint and were, like, let's match this as much as possible. Um, but, yeah, to perhaps get to Francis's like, larger point like yeah i i i I have umbrage i have umbrage um and yeah we definitely need i was gonna say we need hairy more hairy men on survivor but like the list of what we need in terms of casting like that would not prioritize my list but like i hear you and i'm willing to like i'm willing to like put it you know you know middle road of the list yeah, it is interesting because I do feel like society in sort of like the last 10 years has started to hold up hairy guys as the preferred aesthetic in a mm-hmm. lot of places. And yet I don't see that reflected in media a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, I you think know, like we got we have- it. Um, I was gonna say, I do think we had it reflected in that episode of The Last of Us 
with uh, Murray Bartlett and Nick Offerman. That was like an example of like two hairy gays having like hairy gay intercourse. Um, Mm -hmm. But that was slightly anomalous. And also if you look at like the currency of like queer cinema media, you know, your passages, your fellow travelers, your red, white, and royal blue, your all of us strangers. Like, yeah, we're not... We're not giving variety by way of the gay mm-hmm. male gaze. <laughs> um, but that's a larger conversation. But yes, I think we're all in agreement. More. So wait, are we saying more hairy gay men or just more hairy men? More hairy men in. More general. hairy men that are particularly of interest to the gay community. Yes. yes. Okay. There yes. But, uh, you know, to Francis's point, a lot of people have been looking at Jake and people have been kind of crushing on Jake. I mean, he's got the star power uh, and we got more questions about him. So let's take another. Hi, this is Julia from Argentina. And my question is for all the survivor homos out there on a scale from one to 10, how would you rate Jake as a bear? I mean, is so does Jake count as a bear? That's in such an interesting question. My instinct is to say no. Yeah, But agreed. then to like our earlier discussion from 30 seconds ago, I feel like if you're of interest to the gay gays, the qualifications sort of like kind of like there's tangential mm-hmm. ways mm-hmm. in which we can sort of bring this into the conversation. Um, he does not strike me. I am not, I do not look at him and say bear, the way mm-hmm. that I did with Matt from 43. Yeah. I think he's giving cub more than bear if we're going to stick to like the animal themes. But I would not ascribe him as a bear. But if bear enters the conversation, I wouldn't be one to disqualify him. Right. Matt, by the way, is from 44. Oh, sorry. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Wait, this reminds me of this fabulous uh, review that we got, which, by the way, shout out Uh to all the recent reviewers. My God, you all are so sweet. Uh, What did they say, Sean? They were like, we get all of our information wrong. Yeah. But they still love it. Frequently get facts about past seasons wrong. Totally. But can I just say, like, we're contending with 45 past seasons. Like, yeah. I'm almost prouder of us for not knowing them top to bottom because that to me would be, to be honest, a little sad. Um, speaking of the reviews and, and great lines, there was one that I didn't like really properly shout out on the Instagram. I did post it, but it, it has really stuck in my mind. And it says, it's kind of funny and kind of concerning that both these hosts seem to only be doing the podcast out of an obligation to some unknown entity. <laughs> Because they don't like New Era Survivor, don't like CBS, definitely have other ventures and interests, and, quote, wouldn't watch the season except for the podcast. Uh, like, yes, all things we've said. Yeah, I was going to say. The, the thought of this unknown entity that we feel obligated to, like, has really been following me around the past mm. couple of days. Is it Mike White? Yeah. I don't know what it is. I think mm. it's Jeff Probst. <laughs> well, now that he knows who we are. Okay. Yeah, I see. It's similarly, I'd, like, I don't look at Jake and see him as a bear. However, if I ran into Jake in the real world, and Jake has a very, like, a- ally aura to him, right? Like, he is mm-hmm. a theater kid. Um, he's very approachable. He's charismatic. He's not one of these 
he's not like a dude from Boston that I would find intimidating, you know? Um, and so I get the inclination that if I ran into Jake at a gay bar, which I think is possible, I think he would go to a gay bar, um, not for like cruising purposes, but to be an ally, uh, you know, I might be like, oh, that, like nice bear. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like if we're talking survivor bears, mm-hmm. I would be quicker to put like Brett LaBelle into the conversation Ahead of, like, Jake. Famously famously hairless bear. But bear. Now, here's the question. <laughs> if this is the metric, right? Jake, uh-huh. is he more baby girl or more bear? He's more bear. I think he's more bear. Okay, glad we sorted that out. Do you know who is baby girl? Just to, you know, again, can't define baby girl, but know who is and know who isn't. Martin Scorsese is baby girl. <laughs> There you go. Your reaction is the thumbs up. (laughs) Okay. Wow. Love that for Martin Scorsese. Oh my God. Wait. Do you know who's also baby girl? Just on this this thought pattern. (sighs) Who's the guy in, uh, it's in Nicaragua, the old man where the the shoes get put in the water. Jesus. He's like the mob boss. I know I'm stereotyping. Dan. Dan from Survivor Nicaragua. Yeah. Dan Limbo. got his ass good, yeah. Yeah, that's baby girl. Okay. When he's sitting in that giant chair, yeah. you know what I'm talking about, because we're going to post that, you know we're posting it, that's baby girl. And that's okay. the caption. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, I love that, actually. Okay, let's go to uh, our last Thirsty Jake question, but boy, is it thirsty. Hey, Evan and Sean. I am anonymous. <laughs> My name, not my call. Um, I woke up this morning having had a very unexpected sex dream about Jake. And it was a very nice dream. And probably because of his star energy, whether he's baby girl or not, uh, it crept into my subconscious. Now, on paper, I probably would have predicted someone like Austin might appear there instead. But it was Jake, and I was very pleased. And now I've been thinking about it all day. But it begs the question, have either of you had a similar experience, an unexpected cameo in your dreams from any Survivor alum? I'm just very curious to know. I will be going and Googling pictures of Jake in his underwear now. Wow. It's 930 in the morning. (laughs) You should still remember your dream from last night. Mm. You know, I love the question. And I love uh-huh. the energy. Um, I'm not one to really dream. <laughs> <laughs> wow, killed John Lennon with that one. I'm sorry. Uh, I, yeah, the answer is no. But I also like... Because this was like... The question was framed as like... Sort of like, you know, off-kilter select. I don't even have like... Um, theme selects, like, yeah, there's no one that's yeah. really permeated the dream space for me. Yeah, the problem for me, and I've been thinking about this one as well. Oh, so you've been preempted. Okay. Just Considered, enough. if you will. I, <laughs> I have been thinking about this one because I'm 98% sure that this has happened to me at some point in my life. I mean, I started watching Survivor when I was 14 years old, so like... Yeah, I was coming of age. 
And so I am sure that a Survivor contestant has made an appearance in a dream of mine, but I would never remember it because it was, mm-hmm. you know, 20 years ago. Mm. So that's the trick. So I wish I had a better answer. I wish I was like, you know, uh, <laughs> I can't even think of <laughs> I wish that I was like, wait, what's the name of the guy? Again, we had this conversation. Is it the general in Marquesas? Uh, the general? I think so. The other Rob. Yeah. I, I think- wish that I was like, he showed up in my dream when I was 16. Yeah, the general. I, I couldn't possibly recall that mm-hmm. but you know what it probably happened so let's just say it did okay wait sorry but just to regress on the subject of bears <clears throat> mm-hmm. is russell hans a bear yes and you know what russell hans is kind of hot okay i'm not i'm not gonna no no i no i'm not even saying i'm not reacting that way because he's problematic like i can find problematic people hot hello um but you don't find him hot no, I'm not. That's There's not something like... to Russell. There's on my last rewatch of Samoa and Heroes versus Villains, which was back to back because they have to be. Ew. What? I'm just looking at photos of him, and that was my reaction. No, you got to see him like moving around. There's Ew. something. There's something there. I was. I'm not saying that he's like he's not making my sexiest men of Survivor list. He's not uh, showing up in my dreams. But I am saying that like there have been moments that I'm like, eh, yeah. I would. Okay. In a dark corner somewhere. I'm going to pivot by saying, um, has anyone here, (laughs) by anyone, I mean, Sean, for the moment, seen Passages? Have you seen Passages? I have not seen Passages. So it's really fantastic. It's available to rent. The reason I bring it up is because someone messaged me, and I I actually do see this, and said, does the leading lady in Passages not remind you of Amanda Kimmel? And I was like, you know what? Yeah, she does. So anyway... So the three listeners out there right now, snapping their fingers along with me, go rent passages to check out a star turn from Amanda Kimmel. There's somebody else recently who really reminded me of Amanda Kimmel, which is a terrible thing to say because I'm not going to remember who it is. Fuck. And it wasn't even me that said it. It was my boyfriend who was like, not a big Survivor fan. He was like, that girl is so Amanda Kimmel. Mm. Fuck. Okay. Okay. I'm going to think on that, maybe get back to him. Okay, also, just sorry, one thing that <laughs> that made me think. We should do a Boyfriends of the Pod episode in January featuring Cody and Billy. Uh, yeah, we could do that. Okay, moving on. No, I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> that's not it. It's just Cody's only seen a handful of Survivor. No, I know. It could be, you know, just fun to like. Geeky. Oh, it's just for fun. Yeah. Great. All right, next question. Okay, here are my really quick Survivor 45 thoughts. Um, the thing that I guess like bothered me the most all season long was really harping back every single time to the quote-unquote fight between Emily and Bruce. Like Calling it a fight, I think, is such a mischaracterization. Um, I guess it goes into the complaint that like it's a little too kumbaya. Uh, I want villains. Bring back the villains. To even like, I love Emily. She was my favorite character on the season, uh, next to Katora. But the, the calling her a villain is just unfair. <laughs> you give any like brief pushback, and you're a villain. I don't know. Those are my thoughts. Bring back villains. Um, I think crybabies would cry a lot if they actually encountered what a villain is. Okay, bye. Love y'all. Mm. Yes, much made about. 
Emily's early turn in the season as a quote-unquote villain because she was maybe a little more off the cuff than our uh, standard New Era Survivor player. Okay, so I, I, I don't have strong feelings about that moment, but what it does make me think about is how many iconic moments in reality television are made iconic through repetition. Because the one that I always think about is the uh, uh, Johnny Fairplay, Grandma's Dead moment, which, like, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, is totally iconic. But, like, the idea that it's, like, the moment itself is not iconic. It's more like the idea of someone going on television and pretending that their grandma's dead. And yet it gets played and played and played over and over again to sort of convince you that this is an iconic moment. Again, maybe not the best example because I do think it has iconography, but I, I I do bring it up to say, like, I don't think the moment itself is that iconic in the same way that, like, snakes and rats, iconic. Um, mm-hmm. But this to say that I do think that there are many moments, both on Survivor and, and in television, that we would otherwise not think about much, but are framed in such a way throughout time by the show or on social media that make us retroactively say like, oh, there's a there there to this moment. And so I do think that Bruce Emily moment, I don't think I would have given it another thought in the season at all, other than like really enjoying it as like the first entry point to Emily as a character on Survivor. Mm -hmm. But the fact that it got brought up so much, I can understand this caller's hesitation in wanting to ascribe, you know, this iconography and in, in turn also saying like, bring back our villains. That I get. Yeah, I think what's interesting to me about it is that Survivor has made this shift away from mm. negativity and conflict, and yet they gave this moment, which was just the slightest hint of conflict that we've had in a long time, uh, so much airtime, right, and so much consideration. And so it's like they loved what they had, but they're not willing to go further. Uh, I'm hoping that maybe this moment is encouraging them, pushing them in the direction of going a little further, but we'll see. But yes, Emily is not a villain for this moment. Emily is like a unique person amongst a, you know, a new era sort of school of survivor players Mm. for this moment. But this is so standard. Like I think of Australian survivor thinking about this, like they call it like mat chat, right? So they're on the mats uh, before a challenge And in Australian Survivor, it's, like, so part of the culture to smack talk each other, to sort of, like, try to throw each other off before the challenge. And you have the tribes just, like, truly, like, taking what Emily did and upping it by 10 uh, to each other. And it's all sort of, like, in good fun, but it's also quite cutting. And it can sort of get under people's skin, I think. And I think that's, like, such uh, important and unique aspect to Australian Survivor that I would love to see over on the U.S. version. Mm. In terms of iconic moments that are not replay, that I think are iconography, the example that comes to mind to me would be Dawn's teeth and Karamoan mm-hmm. as an example of like a moment that like could be played back at nauseum as like one of the craziest moments of Survivor, but Survivor just doesn't see it as such. And so that's an example of like, that should be burned in people's brains, but it's not because they just don't cycle it into our brains the way they do. And so it's just sort of interesting to think about, like, which moments get the playback and which don't, and, like, which Mm -hmm. could be potentially iconic moments, because it's, like, Survivor made that Bruce-Emily interaction into something of iconography, 
But there are other moments that are, I think, we would deem iconic that have just been buried. And so it's sort of interesting to think about like the effectiveness of repetition. And then also just briefly, I do just want to say, no spoilers, and we will totally, absolutely adhere to this, but the new season of The Traitors features an incredible villain turn that we will be speaking about once we begin recapping on the Patreon. And I'm really excited to lean into it because I don't think we get villains at this level of villainry that aren't playing a villain the way that this person is oh i don't know who it how deep in are you uh just started episode two you didn't just mainline them no i'm trying to savor it and i'm also like trying to take my notes so that i'm all ready to podcast so like i yeah i'm oh my god okay i'm not mainlining but okay yeah are we allowed to say we've watched this yeah it doesn't matter. I mean, like, I'm not going to... Yeah, at the end of the day, this is my thought process. Because I posted on my uh, story that I was watching the screeners, and I was like, mm, there's a world in which like this is a little bit gauche. But I was like, here I am, just being like, I'm watching this thing that I'm so fucking excited about. And I was uh-huh. like, if this is seen as... And also, my image contains no spoilers. Like, There's nothing uh-huh. at all about it. All I'm doing, if anything, is attempting to drum up excitement about a show that I'm really excited about. If it's not received that way by the powers that be, and if they give a fuck, then like, then this is not a good relationship for me to have, is the way I see right. it. Right, okay. But I feel confident <laughs> enough, especially because I love Peacock, the people mm-hmm. at Peacock are so good and wonderful to me, I, I feel it was above board. Yeah. I think okay. the real thing is just making sure you're not spoiling, which we wouldn't. No. Well, little teaser there. Uh I think everybody's in for some iconic television. Oh my god! <laughs> okay, let's put a pause on it. We don't want to push. We don't want to pause, push the boundary. Pause. Pause. But we will be back in mid January to talk all about it. <laughs> all I right, do think we're going to need like to make sure we have time. Well, okay, we'll play. Yeah, anyway. I am. Yeah, we'll talk offline about our schedules. Like, I could literally just do like a twenty four seven live feed of just talking about. The Traders season two. But anyway, yeah. neither here nor there. Okay, but we won't do that. <laughs> All right, next question. Hi, Sean and Evan. My question is about Survivor villains. Uh, I feel like in the new era of Survivor, players are hyper aware of how they're being perceived online. And I think there's also a lot more consequences to being shitty on reality TV uh, than there were when the show first started. And... I feel like this has created an environment where we don't really get villain players anymore. We get people who are really interested in being perceived as good. And I want to know if you think we'll ever have an iconic survivor villain again. Um, And also like what you think would need to happen in order for that type of player to come back on the show. Interesting perspective, because we have talked about the way that social media influences the kinds of people that are cast and how they act once they are cast. But I haven't really given a lot of thought to like, is that why we're not getting villains? And it very much could be the case. I do think there's a conscious shift away from casting people who do create conflict for reasons that are beyond me. But I do think that maybe some people like an Emily who had all this cast potential, um, maybe had she been cast 
back, you know, when Kagayan was airing, like if she was in the cast era, maybe she would have been a little more chaotic. Uh, but there, you know, I, I've said before on this podcast, I think last week, that uh, our culture has become quite monolithic. And I think that our um, frame of mind and frame of references and the way that we act towards people has become kind of monolithic because we have this common understanding of what morality is and the way that is decent and appropriate to act. And so besides things like divisions along political lines, I think that the way that people interact has become a lot more beige, um, you know, in character, where in the early seasons of Survivor, we didn't have, yes, it was like kind of getting towards a monolithic culture, but people were a lot more unique uh, than they are now, generally speaking. And so I think that that could, and social media plays into that and is a huge part of why the world is the way it is uh, in that sense. So I do see some influence from social media to the way that people act and the way that they're like aware of how they will receive backlash for something or receive praise for something online. Hmm. I mean, I think about Tiffany Pollard as a good example of like someone who like, did despicable things on television and people love her. So Mm -hmm. I think the idea of like it being as binary as like hero and villain is a bit reductive because I do think there's like a lot of levels here because like Sandra is a good example, excuse me, of a villain who people love and people, even Parvi for some people is considered a villain. You know, it's, it's all framework, right? But it's like there's ruthlessness which on some people is seen as villainy. And then there are more of like your Russells that are sort of like personality, like instigators, you know what I mean? Who -hmm. are also villains. And then there are people that are just like play the game really hard at the expense of others, which is sometimes considered villainy. So I think that like to to the question, which by the way, can I just say, please tell us your name and where you're from when you ask the question. Um, but to this caller's uh, point, that was Alexis. Did, oh, but then she didn't say where she was from. I don't know if I don't know if she says or not. I can't remember if she said or not. I just wrote down all the names from Instagram. Oh, okay. I, I, yeah. I don't think she said because I because tr- I make okay. a point. I say it back when they say their name because I want to try and. <laughs> Hi, Alexis. Shout out. Um, but uh, but to Alexis's question about can, can there be villains again? I have to like really consciously believe that there can be. You know, I feel like the pendulum always does swing. So to have the mindset of, like, it's never... See, that to me is the difference between when people say we're haters, we are haters. Or I I shouldn't say we. I am a hater. Like, I am definitely a hater. But I really am hopeful about not just Survivor, but, like, in the things that I hate... I hate them because I think that they're capable of being better. And I mm-hmm. really do believe that like Survivor can get back on track. And I don't think it's like, I think even this season in some ways was all like a, a, where the ship is moving in the right direction. So I think we could absolutely get villains back. But I think many of the issues that we, and I think it's fair to say our listeners have with New Era Survivor have little to do with the game and much to do with the casting. Um, and so I think it would need to be a larger overhaul. And I don't think this is just Survivor or just CBS. I think we'd really need to look on a larger sense of like what we look for in reality television personalities in the 2020s era. Mm-hmm. And I did just want to point out, we haven't touched on Squid Game yet, and I, I hopefully we will. But do you remember, it's like 
the fourth or fifth episode when they're playing. It's the game where they have they have to like devise what the game is. It involves the marble. Yes. And there's that older curmudgeon man and yes. the young deaf woman. And they really come to blows. And he's a fucking asshole to her. And it's basically like, if I remember correctly, thinks that she's using her disability to advance herself in the game. Is that, is that am I right? Do you remember that? Uh, I don't remember that in such detail, but... It's been a while. Okay, well, there's something I remember irky about the way he's coming at her. And Uh it's not to say that I liked him, but I thought that that was representative of the ways in which people like him act. And I thought it was a really... I was, like, surprised to see that in the show because the show was overall seeming to be, like, very, like, heartwarming, especially Mm -hmm. in the players that they chose to, like, track the most. And obviously, I think the reason they were able to keep that in the edit is because, spoiler alert, she advances on and he does not. But I had a moment where I was like, what would happen if this man advanced further and further in the game because he's so clearly an asshole? Like, he has no Mm. regard for other people's feelings. He was so, he disregarded everything she said. Like, he would, he was unable to hear her. And that's how a lot of people are in this world. But you don't see it a lot on reality TV. Um, even when you see blow-ups today, they sort of get resolved, right? It's like all mm-hmm. about moving forward, which in some ways is a good thing, right? Like you, in order for the plot to advance, you need some sense of resolve. But I appreciated that interaction on Squid Game. It's not to say that I'm co-signing what this man said or did. It is to say that like that was a very real argument that the two of them had where they were unable to see eye to eye and unable to move forward. And I was like, wow, this is refreshing. Mm. I will say to your earlier point about, you know, Tiffany Pollard and Sandra and Parvati and these villains that, you know, are loved for their villainry. Like, That's in retrospect, right? Mm -hmm. I think that if we did have social media at that time, I think Sandra would have been getting a lot of hate. I think Parvati would have been getting a lot of hate. Um, And I think Tiffany Pollard would have been getting a shit ton of hate. But, you know, time heals everything. And we're able to look back with rose-colored glasses. Just look at the reaction now that Hannah from season 45 is getting online. Hannah has joined twitter as a result of the sort of like turn of love for her which like is i think a little tongue-in-cheek but it's there and at a time you know when she first quit in episode one it was it was i hate her i can't believe she would do this she took somebody's spot it was all negative and then you know the season turns out to be a good season people are happy with the outcome people realize that hannah quitting allowed emily to stay who was a big character in the season and they're sort of like, eh, you know what? I'm over it. Let's have fun with this. And so, like, that's a very, like, quick turnaround time of, of what I'm talking about, where in the moment, it was, like, all negativity. Mm-hmm. And then with time, people look back and go, actually, maybe iconic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, again, yeah. is a symptom of social media, which, again, good and bad. Also, I just want to say, I was correct. So basically, this guy, his name is Tim on Squid Game, accused the woman, her name is Jackie, of, quote-unquote, playing the sympathy card. And that's where their whole argument spawned from. And again, it's just like, oh. I was. it's so um, jarring to see someone accusing a person with a disability of playing the sympathy card because that's such an asshole thing to do. And yet, again... 
I like seeing assholes on television because they exist in the world. And in my opinion, the more we try and mute them out of reality television, the more it emboldens them in real life, in my opinion. So I just appreciated that. Hmm. Okay, we have one last question about villains before we can move on from this topic. Hi guys, my name is Ana. I'm from Brazil. So first of all, sorry for my English. Uh, okay, so I want to ask about about villains. Uh, we've been saying for a while that the show needs to cast villains again. And I saw somewhere that Jeff addressed this on his podcast, saying that uh, they probably would never cast someone like Russell again, but they would probably still cast uh, likable villains like Tyson and Sandra and Parv. And even though I wouldn't cast anyone from 45 in the tribe of villains, I do think we had a little bit of a villain side from people and situations, a bit more spice. Do you agree? Do you think uh, that's a step in the right direction? And do you think that's their limit? Or do you see them pushing this limit even more? Thank you. Love you. Brazil. Hello, Anna. Yes. Oh, hi, Anna. Thank you for the question. So it seems like people are really into villain talk. Yeah, well, they have been, I think, since the new era started. Like, probably I get since 42 I when they too. started to realize, oh, there aren't really. I mean, we had like a glimmer of a villain in Shan, but she was uh, she was the character. It was presented to us like you're going to root for this person. Right, but I and think so it, it wasn't villainous in the way of Russell Hans where it's like, oh, this is our antagonist and we have a protagonist that we're actually rooting for. Mm-hmm. But I do think if you crossed over to the challenge and followed Shan over there, her villain arc was more f- yeah. fully fleshed out. Yeah. Um so, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Do I think that like we got more flavors of villainry in 45 i don't i'd be lying if i said that we did i haven't seen it at all in the new era but i i again like it's like i don't know what the formula is right because it's like Mm -hmm. i think that like villains as far as like entertaining villains succeed based off of like in terms of entertainment value, who their foes are, right? Um, mm-hmm. That's sort of what makes it work. And if I'm remembering correctly, like, okay, so, sorry, I'm going to need you to fill me in here, but, like, who in Samoa... Who, okay, sorry, maybe I'm putting you on the spot here. No, in Samoa, who was, like, Russell's main target? It was that Laura woman, right? Yeah. And, like, that was such a fun person to go up against i mean i really liked laura and i was rooting for her but like she wasn't a hero in the way that like okay if russell had gone after a i don't like okay russell v jake let's use that as the example yeah okay the survivor designated a baby girl i don't think that would have been as well i mean now that i'm saying it, i'm like i'd like to see that but needless <laughs> to say i guess it's just like i think it's the, the your villain is only as good as the sum of the parts around them and that's why uh-huh. i'm a big proponent of like and i know fishback has spoken about about this a lot on know-it-alls which is that like all of your icons are like it's situational right it's dependent on the cast the chemistry whether or not they were able to make deep relationships and quickly. And a lot of that is luck, you know, because this person Mm -hmm. was on their tribe or wasn't, and it just so happens that they vibed or didn't vibe. So I, I, if I were 
trying to like reverse engineer a villain, it would be very, very challenging. So all I can hope then is that they cast less fans of the show and people that have long been watching the show so that someone can come in that's unaware of the mold. And because I don't want someone coming in and trying to like break the mold or reimagine mm-hmm. the mold. I want a lack of awareness of the mold. And I think mm-hmm. that would be the winning formula. Well, and I was just telling you about this uh, because you had shared a post from Drop Your Buffs of two Australian survivor legends listening to Drop Your Buffs in bed together. Mm -hmm. And one of those people is Chrissy Zaremba, who was on this podcast in a very chaotic but iconic interview. Um, And she is such a perfect example of Australian survivor. This was Blood versus Water. They cast her brother-in-law, who was a big Survivor fan. And she got brought along and she never watched the show, barely knew what it was, was shocked to find out they weren't getting fed or taken to a hotel at night, Uh, didn't know what tribal council was or how to pronounce it. Uh, Just like, (laughs) like literally zero baseline knowledge of the show and turned out to be an absolute icon of the show and the game and you know we get to watch her figure out how to play it and play it well while still not quite understanding all of the mechanics and while that's not didn't make her a villain it was such an exciting character and i have heard that about survivor uk which we got a couple questions about i have not watched beyond episode one but i have heard that it uh ends up being a very great season because you get to watch these people like figure out the strategy on the go and that apparently they figure it out quite well so i'm looking forward to watching that but like that kind of thing is really interesting and i think that's getting more to the super fan casting um and the problem with that maybe doing that 100 percent of the time um, but further to that i think to answer the question what does it what will it take for villainry to return to survivor i think it takes a returning season i think it takes Past relationships, current relationships Mm -hmm. coming to a head. Um, You know, there are players and players in the new era that don't get along outside of the game. Put them on a season together and let's watch that play out. I think... I think there has to be conflict. There has to be villainry in a returning player season just because of the existing relationships. And I think that once that happens and if it's successful, they will go, oh, we need to do that more. Yes. And to your point, if you look at like um, that show House of Villains, if you look at Mm -hmm. the show The Goat, if you look at The Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip, there is definitely something in the air around an awareness of the power of returning players on Mm -hmm. (laughs) even Big Brother with Suri. It's like every show but Survivor seems to be privy to this. Actually, Big Brother just released this Reindeer Games, which was like, I think I mentioned it on a Mm -hmm. previous episode, which was just like, I think it was nine returning players. It was like a truncated mini season of Big Brother. That was amazing. People really, really liked it. I mean, I I skimmed. I did like a a cursory watch, but like still... uh, Every show seems to be aware of this except for Survivor. So hopefully they can get privy. But yeah, to your point, there is something about returning player seasons. And I actually think there's twofold that you get from it. One, you have the ability to like see your faves back again, but you mm-hmm. also get opportunities to see players who weren't able to do much their first go around 
Parvati being the blueprint example that can come back and really wow you. So when we talk about like returning player seasons and we're like, yeah, we want Jake back or we want Katura, and it's like, sure, yes. But also, and like, I'm not joking when I say it, it's like, we want Maddie Pomila back. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Pomilla? Maddie Pomilla, I think. Pomilla, Maddie Pomilla. Shout out to Maddie. Um, we want Maddie Pomilla back because like there's, there's untapped legendary potential there. We want Sabaya back. Hello. Right? We've been like, beating that, that drum for a while. The number one. Like, if I could have anybody back from Survivor 45, it would be Sabaya. Yes. Well, and Hannah. And Hannah. Um, which, by the way, I am now on the group chat with Sean and Hannah, and uh-huh. I'm loving it. Yeah. Anyway, but but yes, so I think that returning player seasons, we, who, I you know what, can I honestly just ask, like, is there anyone out there that doesn't want a returning player season? I feel like Literally. all of us, like old fans, new, like, it's just all we want is to see these people back again, and it seems like it alleviates a lot of the work of casting. You know what I mean? They no longer have to like audition. It's like, what the fuck are we waiting for? Give us a fucking returning player season. It's so funny because I feel like I've got some kind of Stockholm syndrome with Survivor where, well, yeah, besides the fact that I'm still watching and don't want to be watching. But besides that, it's like, there's something where it's like, there was a period of time specifically the 20s where i was like enough with the returnees like it's season after season it's like south pacific redemption island kagayan blood versus water like it's fans versus favorites there's just so many and it was like enough like just we all we want is new people and then you know lo and behold we get a stretch of <laughs> newbie cast. I'm like, where's the returnees? Uh, same goes for the tribe swap. I've always hated the tribe swap. I hate it. But it's because they ran it into the ground. And it was like, well, it's not just one tribe swap. It's going to be two tribe swaps. There's not even like one episode where these tribes are like living together. Um, and then we become starved for tribe swaps in the new era. And I'm like, oh my God, like a full tribe swap in 45. We're spoiled. Uh, it's funny how... The sort of mindset changes, but it really comes down to the balance of how often we're doing these things, what kind, like how often we're casting the same kinds of people. I think that's why we're feeling a little stale in the casting of the new era is that it's like been very similar casts across the board for 41 to 45. Um, having said that, you know, there have been some great casts, including 45, but it's like still a little more of the same. And so it'd be fun to just experiment and try some new things. Absolutely. It's kind of like with the auction. It's like w- the reason people yeah. were so excited was less that like, and, and granted, like the auction is great. It has provided us with a number of iconic moments. But I think more than anything, it's just, oh, here's this once familiar thing that's gone away and now it's back and it's fun to see a familiar face. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go to our next question. Hi, I'm Elena from Alabama. I've heard some commentary comparing D, Kim, and Parvati. I feel like they have many things in common. You know, they're these badass women that played amazing games. One thing I feel like they also have in common is they are all three very beautiful women. D had that amazing smile. My question is, do you guys feel being conventionally beautiful contributes to success in Survivor? And if so, how? Uh, that's not to discredit all the things that make these women great. I'm just curious if you feel that plays a role. Thanks. Mm. Hot topics. Thank you, Elena. Hot topic. Yeah, hot. What do you think? 
You've had time to think about it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This is I'm just so kidding. This you. is, this this is, is this one of the questions you've yeah, heard. I heard this one. Yeah, I have been thinking about this, and I do think that pretty privilege exists, and I do think it exists on Survivor because this is one way that I think Survivor is a microcosm of the real world in that like pretty privilege exists in the real world and it exists on Survivor. I was trying to think back and like I certainly haven't crunched numbers or anything, but I was trying to think back on examples and it's like you look at Survivor China. Uh, So not necessarily a winner, but it's like Todd was attracted to Amanda and Courtney as allies, I think largely based on their appearance, right? Pretty young women. Mm -hmm. And while he did work with other people, like that was the title alliance, that was the final three. And, you know, you see the way and like, granted, it's maybe not like the most conventional of, you know, ways that this plays out, uh, like, say, the Black Widow Brigade, where, you know, they're just like lulled by the beauty of these women into a false sense of security. But like, Todd sort of like bringing in these girls, it's like, and not that Todd had all the power that season and certainly not early on when he aligned with them, but there is something to like, oh, yeah, like that, that first impression matters. And like for a lot of young people, especially, there's going to be an attraction to conventionally attractive people. And then suddenly you've got, you've grouped together and you've got some numbers. So like, I think it does make sense. There's probably a lot of cases that don't follow that, uh, you know, that mold, but I do think it exists for sure. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I think, like you said, I think like it exists in the world and so it exists in Survivor. I would be curious to bring this question forward to people like Dee, Parvati, and Kim and other players in the game because I think this is a more interesting conversation to be had with people inside the game than with us. Like, but like, because like, yes, I think we both are in agreement that like it does exist. I would love to hear from players both on the receiving end of that and the players who don't feel like they benefited from that, like how that impacts gameplay. That to me would be like the crux of like digging into the conversation. But like to answer the question, yeah, I think we we are all in agreement that like it does exist. But having said that, there are far more uh, pretty big time losers of Survivor than there are, you know, pretty winners of Survivor because like just going through that exercise that I did on the Instagram the other day of casting Survivor All Starless, I was just reminded of how many women who kind of look the same, uh, kind of follow the purple Kelly mold in terms of their looks, uh, have been on this show that I have forgotten were on the show. They either went pre-merge or post-merge, not memorable, uh, didn't really make the moves. And so certainly not taking anything away from D, Kim, or Parvati in terms of their gameplay because they had uh, they had the strategy, they had the charisma, they had the manipulation to back it up. But um, certainly, I think that being good looking doesn't hurt on Survivor. Mm. Interesting question, though. Very. Let's go to some what if scenarios. I'm Isael from Chicago, and I have a question about the final five. Um, In the new era, only Erica has won the advantage and challenged this round and gone on to win the game. In 42, Lindsay found the advantage, Mike won the challenge, and Marianne won the season. In 43, Carla found the advantage, Owen won the challenge, and Redacted won the season. 44, no advantage found, 
Carson won the challenge, and Jam Jam won the season. And this season, Jake found the advantage, Austin won the challenge, and Dee won the season. So should contestants even bother searching for the advantage this round? It doesn't seem to translate to victory at all. Thanks for the pod, um, especially Sean's radio voice and Survivor Encyclopedia Brain. Shout out to Evan. I agree. Potomac is the elite franchise. Okay, not that wasn't a what if question. I thought we were getting into the what if section of the, mm-hmm. but we didn't. But I thought this was great because I am always railing on this final five advantage and thinking that it's too powerful. And then, and then I'm presented with the evidence that that's actually not the case. Because when I think about this advantage, I think about the first time it was introduced where Erica got a huge advantage in that final five challenge, won easily. Um, and then Ricard goes home, who sort of was like the front runner in the race towards the win of that season at that time. And so I always felt that it was a little overpowered. Uh, but then you know, presented with the evidence that that has never happened again um, in the new era is quite interesting. So it's like, honestly, my preference to answer the question is like, get rid of it. Yeah, get rid of it. Yeah. Seems simple. Okay. (laughs) Simple. (laughs) All right. Hi, my name is Laura. I'm from Los Angeles. Please excuse the sounds of my baby in the background. My question is, if any of the folks who were voted out before they made the jury had made it to the final five. Do you think any of them could have won? And if so, who? Thanks. Love the pod. The poor baby is being poisoned by your hot takes, Evan. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Imagine Laura. this baby being raised on your takes. I'm sorry. I'll keep my voice down. Um. So wait, is the question, if I understand correctly... People pre-merge that could have... Pre-merge who could have won if they had got to the end, which is like a big what-if because we have yeah. no idea how that happened and what happened in the in-between time. Yeah. I mean, all I can really answer is like who I would want, uh-huh. um, which I think, aren't we together and thinking... like I mean, I think we, <laughs> we spilled the milk earlier by saying Sabaya. Yeah, I think it's got to be Sabaya because, like, if we just run through here, we had Hannah who quit, so she was never going to make it. Wait, um, wait, wait. What? I meant spilled the tea, but I said spilled the milk. But, like, sp- spilled oh. milk, well, like, I think I'm thinking about milk because I'm watching Fellow Travelers. If you know, you know. But, no, I think we spilled the tea the tea earlier. <laughs> right. Well, don't cry over a spilled yeah, milk. Yeah, this is true. Um, we had Brandon, who I I just don't see how I don't see how he gets to the end, but like maybe. Whoa, Sabaya, wait, 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 yeah. wait, 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 wait. What? Can we talk about that briefly? Uh what? Or do we hold this? <clears throat> is it about our drama? Well, no, no, no. I don't want to. I mean, we can, but but I just no. wanted to say. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll just say, and then we can move forward. Welcome back to following the Drop Your Buffs Instagram account, Brandon. Yeah, we'll get into it a little later. There's a question. Okay. Okay. Sabaya, yeah, I think because otherwise we've got Sean quit Brando, Brando. I don't I don't see a final tribal for Brando. Uh J Maya, like maybe, but we didn't get to know her. Sifu, and that's it. So, I think the clear star in terms of like, you know, like I said we don't know how they got there, but I think Sabaya is the one with the charisma, the personality, the storytelling who mm-hmm. should she get to she's got military background right so she's like making fire she can make fire i I believe she would 
get through the fun the fire making challenge i think that she makes it to final three i think she makes a compelling argument because she's got star power right and queer yes it is not i mean again it did not occur to me like so kelly katura sabaya brandon sean all queer no brandon's not queer brandon's not wait no oh okay my bad um sean isn't there a fifth is Sean, Sabaya, Kelly, Katura. Katura. That's it. There's four queers. Can I, I say so. queers? It sounds like a slur. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying it like Rudy Bosch. You're right. So four LGBTQs. Yeah. If I'm missing anybody, huge apology. Now, I've got to just say, I if you're saying the acronym audibly, I think it's LGBTs. But it's not queer erasure, because on paper, it's LGBTQ. But just like in terms of for speaking, I think the it's... It's hard to say. LGBTs encapsulates... I do us. love to hear people say LGBTQIA+. Yeah, I like that too. Especially when if it's really like Joy Behar. it really rolls off the tongue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This may be a little bit of a repeat question let's listen to it hi sean and evan uh, huge fans of the two of you and and how wonderfully you speak about this show that we all love so deeply my question is about something that i think plagues reality tv as a whole nowadays uh drag race all stars comes to mind where i'm wondering do you think that players are letting post game fame and fan reception affect how they're playing the game now for example i feel like fans used to love players that played ruthlessly but now people want to sort of cater to being the fan favorite so that they'll be popular on social media and that cbs will bring them back to all their different events whether it's big brother or survivor and so people are always sort of playing with the idea that even if i lose but the fans love me i'm still a winner uh what do you guys think about this and how it's affecting our gameplay we did talk about this right yeah, but I think uh, it's an interesting like sort of uh, framing of the question. And mm-hmm. I do think it's a huge problem, and I especially agree specifically with Drag Race, because I do think that the crown on Drag Race matters much less these days than how relevant and the stickiness you're able to bring to whatever time you have on the show. And in some senses, as the adage goes, like, it's better to leave the party early. And I think that that happens a lot on Drag Race where you get a queen that has like four or five really strong episodes as to, in comparison with a queen who might be like really good for all 12 episodes, but sort of like your interest sort of peters out over time just because if you're operating at a high level, but like continuously, it only resonates for so long. So yeah, I do think to go out early but have made an impact can really actually be sort of the best case scenario. I mean, I think of Caleb on this last season of Survivor. Like, he had such a great run. Granted, it was limited, but didn't peter out at all at any point in Mm -hmm. his run. Um, But yeah, I do think there is a consciousness around that. And I would say what I wish for is just players not being on social media as much. And I know it's easy to say that from my perspective, um, not having the lived experience of, like, the excitement of being on television. But... I have to say, like, I think a lot of my intrigue in Hannah from this past season has to do with the fact that she's, like, not a part of the community at all. Well, I mean, tangentially, she is. A shout out to Hannah uh, for wearing her Drop Your Buffs merch, which we were permitted to post on our gram. But but 
I think a lot of people are very plugged in to the fandom community. And I always have to say, like, the housewives that I always resonate with the most are the ones that sort of, like, dip in and dip out. You know, I, I like people to be a little bit in, you know, because there are moments that I want to know how they're feeling or how they're reacting. But, mm-hmm. like, especially there are certain, you know, to use housewives language, there are housewives that, like, sort of instigate drama on social media that then finds its way into the show next season. And that sort of um, methodical and tactical approach to reality TV is so boring to me. Mm. Okay, let's move on. We've got some what the the what if scenarios coming now, as long promised. Yeah. Hi, I'm Beck, and I'm from Sydney, Australia. And my question is, if at the final five vote, D had been voted out instead of Julie... Who do you think makes the final three and who wins? Thanks. So this is a big what if, because I think there's a lot of things to happen in between the, you know, that final five. I mean, there's the fire making, right? Like who's going to win immunity? Who's going to be put into fire? But I, I do feel like it comes down to, it comes down to does Ariba win or does Keturah win? Um, And so like, if we look at like, like because Austin got almost half the votes at the mm-hmm. final tribal council, right? Like he did have the respect of the jury in a way that I thought that maybe he wouldn't. But I think the gameplay spoke for itself, I guess, as in terms of like all being uh, on that same tribe, like dark tribal alliance, the before, uh, and kind of making the same moves. There's you have the argument to make, but I do think that if Katora got to the final three. She would make a compelling argument. Um, but I also think that if Julie was in the final three, she has the same story that Dee had, right? And then she also has that big move to call on where she, you know, negated all the votes against her and sent Emily home. And I think that may have tipped the scales and perhaps Julie could have won. Oh, that's interesting. Well, so yeah, I think it's between Julie and Katura. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I would Austin's... just be so curious how how the jury would react to Katora in the final three. But I feel they like don't Katura know if they'd would be have like you did nothing or or we love you. You're incredible. Here's a million dollars. I feel like Katora would have a really strong final tribal. Okay, let's go to another one. I think this is very similar, actually. Hi, I'm Veronica from San Diego, and my question is: What would have happened if Katura had won the fire making challenge? made it to the final three, would the outcome have been the same or would Katura have won? Let's see. Then this is interesting too, because let's, let's say the final three is Austin D and Katura. Of course, Austin D and Jake, Jake got zero votes and D and Austin split the vote with D taking the win. Does Katura pull any votes away from Austin and D? So my speculation like doesn't matter. And that's why I'm not really interested in like what I think here, but to game this out, what I think is that we need, first of all, we need to return to doing reunions months later. And this is the kind of question that asked at a reunion filmed months later could actually precipitate an interesting conversation. Asking it moments after the vote, the what ifs don't matter at all. I mean, the after show in general doesn't matter at all. But I do think this is the kind of question that holds a lot of weight, is really interesting to dive into. And I wish the show would do so during the live reunion, which would be taped and actually reveal the winner to the winner uh, live. 
Remember See, that? I would argue the opposite. Like, Jeff loves that question at the live reunions. And I think it, by that point, it is completely irrelevant because they have all seen the season. And you shouldn't be seeing, you know, every move made during the That's season before you vote on a winner. And so there's, a, it's very easy to put up your hand and say, I would vote for Keturah after seeing Keturah's story and her confessionals, etc. Uh-huh. But if you're in the game with her, it's harder to, like... I think right after the moment, if we play out those scenarios, it'd be like, mm, maybe I would. But uh-huh. I, I think either way, it's hard to get a really truthful answer or an objective answer. I think the only way you can do that is in the voting booth. Uh-huh. Okay, wait, I have a question. So is uh-huh. your understanding, so like with Drag Race, they film a version of all of the finalists winning so that on the night it actually airs, the winner does not, in fact, know they are the winner. I'm assuming that yeah. does not happen with Survivor. So D just knows she won and sits on it for months, right? Uh, yes. Okay. Now, interesting question, though, because that is how U.S. Survivor plays out. Australian Survivor films everyone winning. Okay. Including, so, they take they take v- votes from past votes, and they pull out votes for... So nobody knows until it airs. Like, they take... Nobody knows which is the real urn of votes, because they take you know, players past votes for people so that they can make a win out of it, which is so interesting. I love that. Why would they yeah. not do that? I know. Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't know, actually, I haven't been following sort of like the spoiler culture of New Era, so I don't know what has been spoiled and what hasn't, but I would imagine it's like quite hard to keep that under wraps. I mean, we I heard D. Uh, in her exit interview, I think with Jeff Probst on his podcast um, about how she got home and told her mom that she had won. Um, and it's like, all it takes is mom to tell like one coworker, mm-hmm. hey, I might be retiring soon or something um, to, to sort of for the word to get out. So I'd be curious if anybody's into the spoiler culture of Survivor, please don't tell me anything about, well, the future seasons haven't been filmed yet, have they? Yes, they have. 46. 46 has been filmed. Um, but like for any of the past, like 41 to 45, I would be very curious to know like how much they have been spoiled or not spoiled. But 47 hasn't filmed or has? 47 has not filmed. Okay. Interesting. And we have 46ers. Still hope that we could have returnees. And we have 46ers following us? Yes, we do. Okay. Several. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of the 46 cast following us, someone... From 46 just followed us on Twitter, who has no tweets. So I think she's gearing up. She's gearing up for the season. And not only has she been following Drop Your Buffs for some time, but she also followed Soda Pop. So. Wow. I know. It's always a good sign. Watch her go first. Okay. <laughs> Let's get to our next question. A little spicy. Well, not spicy, but. Hi, my name is Jessica from New York, and I'm very curious, what is the beef with Kelly from 45? I'm here for the tea. Okay, here it is. I think people have been wondering. I think the diehards have, uh, you know, sort of pieced everything together. But, you know, maybe we should just, like, sort of deep dive this in one place so people uh, know what happened. Mm-hmm. I feel like you would be, be a better uh, historian on this than I would, because I have a faulty memory. <laughs> okay, so here's my perspective on the whole situation, which to me is not that serious, but maybe to Kelly it is. I don't know. I think that, and I want to be careful about what I'm saying, because some private conversations have happened um, in our reconciliation that I don't, you know, it's not my place to spill. Maybe Kelly can come on. We can hash it out one day. But 
I think that, you know, we were picking up uh, Kelly and Dee for a, a lot of the early season. Kelly was my winner pick uh, at the outset, as she was many people's winner pick. And then we were kind of surprised not to see her in the edit a whole lot. And so we did talk about this. And then there was that episode that we filmed, <laughs> that we recorded uh, uh, together in LA, where you were making a lot of eye contact with me. Um, I will say, I don't know that we were like fully, I certainly wasn't fully on my game. Um, that was the morning after I had uh, gotten very drunk with sugar from Survivor Gabon uh, unexpectedly. And I was very hungover. Okay, so not an excuse, but <laughs> this was the episode that Kelly and Dee had both won individual immunity uh, uh, on the pole hanging challenge. And I think that some of what we said may have been misconstrued a little bit, uh, but I also think maybe we pushed things a little far because we talked about the pole hanging challenge and how it wasn't as long as we would have liked it to be and we were sort of like harping back to heroes versus villains and that iconic challenge where uh parvati and danielle are up there for a little over an hour and parvati gives the win to danielle by stepping down and we were saying oh that's what we would have wanted to see i like i wish that kelly and d had held on longer so we had this like epic showdown we also pointed out that production made it such that this was going to be a shorter challenge by having the poles have smaller grooves in them, which they have done in the past. They, if you look at the footage, the heroes versus villains grooves are much deeper. It's much easier to have a foothold in one of those grooves, which allowed Parvati to sort of hang off the pole with one foot. Um, and in other seasons, they've done the smaller grooves like they did in 45 and so, you know, recognizing that although we would have loved to have seen like an epic long showdown between Kelly and Dee, the challenge was designed in such a way that that wasn't going to happen. And so I wasn't trying to imply, and I don't think we were trying to imply that they suck, uh, but that we would have loved to have seen that because, and like taking nothing away from their win, they won that challenge. And it was a difficult challenge, especially given those very small grooves. Now, in the same episode, because I did rewind the tape, we did talk about sort of like the fandom around Kelly and where, where it's coming from. And I say this from a place of liking Kelly on the show, like liking Kelly, what we did get of her, but she really wasn't in the edit as much as I would have preferred. And so, you know, there is... a a, a slight confusion for me and I think for you of where the sort of like fan community sort of like holding her up as an icon comes from because I see iconic potential but she just wasn't in the show as much as I would have preferred and maybe that's unfair but like I stand by that like would I like to see Kelly come back, especially having seen sort of like how spicy she can get? Yes, but I didn't see that on the show. And I think that's a shame. Um, I say that from a place of wanting to see more of her. Uh, and so I think that, you know, like she took umbrage with that and that's okay. The follow up to that was that, of course, Parvati and Kelly are friends. And uh, to the point that Kelly and her partner, wife, I'm not sure, uh, 
who, who also follows Drop Your Buffs, um, went to the Eras Tour with Parvati and Mae Martin uh, back in the summer and like before season 45 started airing. And so Parvati is hanging out with Kelly. Parvati sends us this video of Kelly being like, I heard you're talking shit about my friend. And Kelly's sort of like, I challenge you to a race or a physical fight, whatever. I thought that was all fun and games. Um, but there was like something in the video that I was like, eh, maybe it's not all fun and games. And so I went to Kelly's profile, saw that she was no longer following us. And so I was like, okay, so this is like kind of serious, right? And so we we kind of like played it up because what else are we going to do? We're like, okay, so now Kelly is an enemy of the podcast, but like we don't actually have any enemies, right? Like that's silly. Like this is nothing. Um, and so, you know, after the finale, you send Kelly a message saying, you know, can we make amends? Um, well, wait, and wait, we sort wait, of like, wait, 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 Can you just... Yeah, am I going too far? Well, can you address the K? You'd rather not. The what? The K. The what? My K. Oh, of course, of course. Because so I just I, think this, I think this is... Yes, wrong. I'm missing a key. I'm just yeah. missing a key moment here. Oh, yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. This is, sounds so stupid. No, but. it doesn't. I think it's, I think it's explaining something that because i think the thing that you're not mentioning which i think is sort of crucial here is that for our patreons they they get access to the close friend story on mm -hmm. instagram where i think much of this we sort of played up the feud aspect of this mm -hmm. in a facetious way um, i know but i think you're actually get, i think you're confused about something here okay. Evan, okay. and this is all your fault this okay, is great. all your fault great Okay, so yes, we as as mentioned, we played up the feud, thinking that like it was just silly, right? Mm -hmm. And so Kelly tweets uh, because Kelly has had a big sort of social media presence in uh, Survivor during Survivor Forty Five, and she has been funny. And there's like this side of Kelly that we didn't see in the show. She's funny and spicy and all these things that that we unfortunately didn't get to see, which is why I think she's a great candidate as a returnee. But she tweeted. Something like, feels like a Brooklyn night. I don't know. And then that night she went to a watch party in Brooklyn. Now you took her tweet and you posted it to Instagram with the simple caption, K. Now you didn't post it to close friends. You posted okay. it publicly. Okay. Okay. Now I have a question for you, okay. which is that when you posted that, did you or did you not hide our stories from Kelly? Okay, so the honest truth is that I don't know. Because my answer is no, I didn't, because I just not the kind of thing I would do. But uh -huh. it clearly happened, and I'm not going... Like, I, I don't remember doing it, but I'm not going to say I didn't do it. But the thing for me is that I don't know that it clearly happened, because let's fast Which forward. Is, yeah, well, this is the confusion. But I'm telling you, let's if I knew forward. that I did it, I would say that yeah. I did it. Yeah, let's fast forward. You send Kelly the, can we make amends? Fine. You make the post about it, you know, Parvati's commenting on it, Parvati's sharing it, everybody's like very excited because we've been playing up this feud and now maybe there's like a next chapter, maybe there's a reconciliation. Kelly refollows us, comments on the post, a great first step towards reconciliation would be unhiding your stories from me. To which I'm like, what? And I, of course I run to her profile. At this point we had we had unfollowed each other <laughs> which was news to me. Again, don't remember that was me unfollowed or whether. Okay, so you did unfollow. I unfollowed. Okay, that, that I was, can confirm. Uh, that was a question. 
Okay. So I go to her profile. I go and look because I have never hidden the stories from anybody. Like, I don't have anything to hide. Uh, so I go into the settings on her profile, and it and the option is there to hide the stories, which means that they're not currently hidden. And so I send Kelly a message, and I'm like, Kelly, the stories aren't hidden. Like, LOL, iconic response to this, to, like, further call us out. But the fact is, you're not currently hidden. Whether you were hidden in the past, I don't know, but you're not currently hidden. And she shows me, and I show her that, I send her a screenshot, and she shows me that she can't see our stories. She sends me a screenshot that her our story there are no stories. And she says that back when the Brooklyn Knights <laughs> tweet was shared, she couldn't see our stories. I have, granted, at that point she had unfollowed us, but her partner was still following us. Her mm-hmm. partner showed her the the post about the tweet, which she says she couldn't see from her profile. So whether she was hidden at that point, I don't know. But at the moment that she commented that, you know, we're in a period of reconciliation, she was, I, I hand on my heart, she was not hidden. I have no reason to lie about this. If she was hidden, I would just cop up to it. But she was not hidden and something had happened where she couldn't see our stories, but they weren't hidden. Now, the way I got them back was I hid the stories and then unhid them. And she was like, oh, it's back. I don't know that she buys that story from me, but that is the honest to God truth of like how she got our stories back. Now to throw a little wrench in <laughs> to throw a little wrench in this, I did get a comment because we were like sort of like sharing this saga. I did get a message from somebody that said that said, I don't know that this is what happened, but that there is a glitch on Instagram where if you hide your stories from someone, their stories get hidden from you. which would imply that Kelly hid her stories from us. But I actually don't believe that that happened because like, why would Kelly be hiding her stories from us? And I think I've always been able to see her stories. So I genuinely don't know what happened if they were hidden and there was some kind of glitch where they stayed hidden, even though they weren't hidden. I don't know. But all of that to say, I think we're working through it. Um, I think there's, you know, like more reconciliation to come. Uh, I don't know if you want to add anything uh, from your perspective. I'll hand it over to you. Well, I would just say, first of all, I want to publicly apologize to Kelly because I think what was intended, and again, I'm only speaking on my behalf. I'm not speaking on Sean's, and I think that that's fair because I think I'm the chief instigator in all of this. Um <laughs> I think what I was intending to do was to have a little bit of fun and I can understand from Kelly's perspective how it was not received that way and for that I apologize. I also apologize about the fact that Look, we are in a position where we have this podcast and we're watching this show and we're reacting to it in real time. I'm sure if you played back 75% of the episodes, I'd be appalled at some of the things I say. Not because I find them offensive, but because I'm just probably like, what the fuck is he saying? But that is the nature of having to record a recap podcast days after you see something. We also contend with the fact that a lot of the players are listening to this pod. And I think, again, only speaking on my own behalf, I make a really conscious effort to not change or alter my opinion at all based off of who might be listening. I mean, I openly like say some pretty derogatory things and my mother listens to this podcast. (laughs) But... It's just because I want a pure podcast, right? Uh But I think that what I'm learning, and I still haven't 
come to like a conclusion on this. It's more of I'm I'm speaking in you know freely with you and with the listeners. Is like I don't really know where I land on this because it is never my intention to hurt anyone, to be mean or callous. I don't. That's really not who I am. Um, but I also recognize that I have said hurtful and callous things on this podcast about people that likely listen to this podcast. You know, speaking freely, it upset me when we got some DMs from Austin being like, I'm so excited to listen to the finale recap and knowing that like, I not only called him Starless, but like questioned his casting on the show, which is not very nice. And also I don't even agree with myself there. Like I, I love Austin. <laughs> I know. So, I think you said, I think you said in that finale, cause I, I got that message from Austin saying, for, first of all, he sent a message saying, thank you guys for all the love and blah, 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 this season. And then I'm so oh, excited shit. to listen to the finale podcast. And in my head, all that was replaying was you not just calling him starless, but saying, <laughs> but saying that he's a dud on the season. I'm like, I don't think that that's true. And I get that these things are said off the cuff. And like, to your point, I think the, the, the tone we want to have in the podcast is like friends standing around the kitchen, having a drink, talking about survivor. Right. And these are conversations people have with each other. And I forget that when I'm recording the podcast, first of all, I forget that anybody's listening, which is, I know, stupid, but like, I forget anybody's listening, let alone the people that we're talking about. Yeah. And so it is easy to sort of make like a flipping comment um, about a player and then sort of like panic in the aftermath to be like, wait, they might hear that. And, and it is not coming from like a place of, hate or wanting to bring them down or like punching down in some way like that is not where it's coming from and so like i hope that any player who has listened like doesn't take anything we say personally and by all means if they do drag us like drag us, us back. That- like i respect kelly so much for dragging us uh like that is what makes her iconic for me in the in the universe of season 45 absolutely so just to clarify though as sean said our dragging of kelly and d from that challenge was not about kelly and d it was about changes made to the challenge and i also will say there was a lot of talk on twitter about how unathletic the cast of 45 was which was something that we were merely commenting on that as a topic on twitter it was less us saying we feel that way so much as like this is a thing that's happening right now and let's have a discussion about the cast being less athletic than casts of the past we weren't saying it was better or worse like we were just recognizing a change in the athleticism of casting which is just a fact um but i would love a brooklyn night with kelly i hope that that (laughs) is in the future. I do think there is a to be continued on the drop your buck, drop your bucks, drop your buffs, ex Kelly of it all. But I want to just sort of like put a button on the conversation by saying like, it's never my intention to be mean or hurtful. And I recognize that I have been. And for that, I genuinely apologize. Yeah. I think there's, it's very understandable. Uh, the, reaction that Kelly had to us having totally. re-listened to that episode. Originally I thought it was just about the challenge, which I was like, well wait, then then I think what we were saying was misunderstood. But you know, in the episode we did talk about like, well, you know, Kelly can't be iconic if Parvati's iconic, right? Yes. Um, and I 
that's not a nice thing to say. Um, I do stand by the fact that, like, I do, and, and this is no shade to Kelly and her, you know, character or personality, but I do stand by the fact that I think she was under-edited in the season, and so that does make it, like, a little confusing when I see online, like, the, you know, the, the, the stand wave for Kelly. And, like, I think that's a broader conversation of, like, we because we see that every season where it's like, oh, we just, we pick a girl um, and we're going to stand her sort of like unconditionally. And I, I do stand by the fact of like, I don't think that she was in the season enough um, for better or worse, I think for worse um, to sort of like warrant that reaction. But, you know, just like based on her social media presence, I think like, okay, like I can see. I can see that reaction for Kelly as a person, um, but I do believe that she was under-edited in the season. Yeah. Well, I think we'll be talking about Kelly a little more uh, to come, so let's put a pin in it now and go to our next question, which is about D. Hi, Drop Your Buffs. My name is Lydia from Minneapolis, and my question is, where are we putting D in our winner ranks? Is she top 10, top 20, top 15, top 40, top 30? You get the idea. Hey, Lydia. Okay, so this is interesting because I've been thinking a lot about our own and actually my own idiocy, which was like me during 45 being like, where do we rank 45 in the new era? I just don't really ascribe to rankings in general. I think listeners of the podcast know I don't even like superlatives, and yet I do dabble in them. Um, Mm -hmm. It is something that's like, I hate it, but I participate in it somewhat. But I think with regards to like where D sits, I think the question really is it's like, what are the qualifiers in the ranking? Are we talking about iconography? Are we talking about gameplay? Are we talking about storyline? There are so many different facets to like what makes a good winner. Are we talking entertainment value from like the television viewer perspective? I mean, I would definitely say, I think we can agree D would fall in the top half if we're just mm-hmm. doing like, if we're marking it at the, you know, the halfway point, D is definitely a top half winner. Um, but to put, it's like, I'm not comfortable putting her in the top 10, top 20, but it's not because she doesn't belong there. I just feel like there's obviously recency bias and there's just like seasons that are like out of mind, out of sight for me. Mm-hmm. Like the person that comes to mind is like, I know um, Chris, the winner of Survivor Vanuatu, has a lot of love from people. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I'm like, wait, what? But I'm like, well, I haven't watched Vanuatu in quite a long time. And I might rewatch it now and be like, that's a king. Um, so yeah, I feel comfortable putting her in the top half. But also in general, it's like, Amber is obviously an uniconic winner of Survivor, but like her winning created an environment for an iconic season of Survivor, mm-hmm. one of the most underrated seasons of Survivor, if we might say. Um, so there's just lots of like, you know, pieces that sort of need to be considered here. But I would say, like superlative wise, D is like one of the top winners that is like worth rooting for. I would put her in like the top. In, in a top space within like winners worth rooting for. Yes. Okay. All very good points. I think that when I approach this question, I'm thinking about 
so many different aspects of what makes a great winner. And so much of it is subjective. It it really comes down to, do I like them? Was their win satisfying? And I, I did run through the list this morning. This is a question I, you know, I had the benefit of time oh, because okay. I did run through the list of winners and I sort of landed something and, and like not ranking them, but I sort of landed on, I think D falls into the top 16 winners for me, which is pretty damn good in a show with four. 45 seasons um, and 43 winners uh, because like you bring up Chris, probably a great winner story, um, but he's not going to be in my top 16 winners because he just doesn't resonate with me. There's mm-hmm. and same with Tony, right? Like Tony two time winner, you know, indisputable that he like is a great survivor player but he's not the kind of character that's for me and so he doesn't like make it you know he might be top 20 he might be top 25 uh, because of his impressive gameplay and sort of like beating the odds in winners at war to win uh, a second time but i mean like anybody was going to win a second time there but i feel like tony came in with such a target on his back but but beat those odds um but really it's coming down to the who do i like who do I love? And, you know, for most of the first 20 seasons, those people are going to get an automatic entry into my list. Um, but I think that D sort of fulfills all of the various aspects that I'm looking for in a winner. It's like that strong, dominant play in a Kim Spradlin style, in a Parvey style, in a Richard Hatch style of like having your alliance sort of uh, calling the shots in that alliance, being able to survive all of that potential backstabbing to get to the end, tell your story and serve sort of like funny and iconic moments along the way and throw in a showmance that also goes to the end in a, in a Robin Amber style. Um, so I think that she gave us everything that I could be looking for in a winner. Are there winners that, you know, that are, are, I'm going to love more because of like posterity and like all of these things. Um, yeah. Like, like the Parvati's and the Sandra's, et cetera. Um, and even like the Tina's and the Richard Hatches, et cetera. Like, I think that some of those are just untouchable. Um, and it may be because I grew up with them, but I think that D lands firmly in the top 15, 16 for me. Totally. Looking and then the also list. you have like your Judds and your Natalie Whites who are people that like are drop your buffs coded in the sense that like, aren't beloved, yeah. aren't canon, and we canonize them because we feel it is our sacred duty. So, yeah, I'm with you. Like, I I, I mean, I'll, I, well, maybe you're a little bit higher than I, but, like, I am very comfortable, middle plus, um, but, yeah. Okay, next question. Hi, I'm Jill from Cambridge, and my question is, why do you think we didn't get to see Bruce ask a question um, during the final tribal? Also, I was kind of hoping we could dive a little bit more into the Bruce and Kelly and Bruce and Katora relationship at the after show. Um, Sean, I know you don't pay attention to the after show that much, but I'm curious on why you think the producers didn't take time to dive into that. Yeah, this is such a great question. We got we got many questions like this about Bruce in the finale in his uh-huh. absence. Is what's the is the term on is it red herring when it's like the thing that's a miss it's like is a mislead? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. I do think this is a little bit of like a red herring to me in that like I think Bruce, it seems, was a little salty. Um 
I'm sure he asked a question and was cut out. Um, but like, I don't think there's like, I'm not sure there's a there there to this conversation other than the fact of like, not everyone makes the edit. I would need more conclusive evidence that like there's something like juicy here other than like didn't make the edit. Uh, but I know that there's like, cons- like some theories online that I'm seeing about like that people think it's notable that Bruce was not part of the reunion. What are the theories? I haven't seen these. Oh, I guess maybe, maybe I'm overselling it. <laughs> what I guess I mean is just that there's a lot of interest around like what okay. is it that what is it because like I guess people are examining Bruce's face throughout the jury and in the after show in noticing that he seemed like visibly peeved. Um, oh. Yeah, that's yeah, an observation. I guess we did, we did meme that, actually, now that you say it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but, like, again, it's sort of like, there. this reminds me of the Emily v. Bruce of it all, which is, like, Bruce v. Katura and then Bruce and Kelly as, like, a plot point are not, like, I kind of think, like, everything was on the page. Like, I'm not sure there's more to discuss with the Katura v. Bruce, which was just, like, they're two personalities that didn't get along, and Katura ultimately went further in the game. Like, what is there, like, what is there to unpack about that in an after show? Uh, I do think there's stuff to unpack about it, and I'm surprised that it wasn't included. I do have a theory. I mean, like, I think when it comes down to Bruce not asking a question on a on the jury uh there's a couple things to say one his question just must not have been relevant i am sure that he spoke and he probably spoke uh several times in this jury format and it just wasn't relevant to the story which was already going on quite long uh, as we pointed out they did push the uh final tribal well into the uh what time would that be 9 30 mark um uh in the three-hour finale And so, you know, things get cut. Now, I think that's bad for the show because as we have, we've been beating this drum for a long time that the jury format needs to go back to the jury speech format in which each juror gets to stand in front of the final three and ask them a question or make a statement in the style of Sue Hawk. Mm -hmm. Uh, That way... Every juror gets to have their say at final tribal council. Look, there's lots of dud jury speeches or jury questions, but at least when each person is going to stand in front of the final three, Survivor is sort of forced to show that because if they didn't show one of the jurors, you know, get up and say their piece, it would be weird. And in this format where it's more of a conversation, it's very easy to edit somebody out who isn't necessarily like giving the editors what they want to work with. So I think it's a testament to the need to bring back the individual jury questions um, and probably just speaks to Bruce having like a little bit of an off night for somebody who uh, is pretty good at making TV. The, after show of it all gets more to it just fuels the fire of why they shouldn't be doing the after show slash reunion on on set i think it really needs to be live because maybe the editors hadn't quite figured out that this was going to be a big story that bruce was going to i mean they obviously knew that bruce was going to clash with emily and that did come up but it came up as a question for emily um we didn't get to dive into the Bruce and Kelly dynamic. And that might be because that story hadn't been edited together yet. Yes, it happened, but was Jeff like fully briefed on the sort of 
nuances of that dynamic that happened when Kelly went home. They did talk to Kelly about her exit, but it wasn't necessarily like couched in the Bruce dynamic uh, of that situation. And then the Bruce and Couture, like, I mean, they must have known because they had so much footage of Couture talking about Bruce. But I think given... Uh, how much it played into the final edit of the show and how much it played into the conversations about the show uh, would have come out in a live reunion uh, as opposed to the on-set reunion. Now it's time for something very special. Hi, Sean and Evan. It's Mac from South Africa again. And I wanted to ask who you think for this season should win the Azure Valani Award for having their social media contributions far outweigh their contributions to the season of television they appeared on. Thanks so much. Mac from South Africa asked this question in our Survivor 44 postmortem. And I have to say, Never has a fan question grown such legs and become such a key pillar of Drop Your Buffs lore as the Azra Valani Award for Achievement in Social Media. <laughs> I, I I specifically reached out to Mac to be like, can you ask this question again? Because I want to give you the props for like developing the concept. Mm-hmm. So Mac, wow, what an impact you've had. Wow. And it's that time. It's award season on Drop Your Buffs. Totally. So, do you want to talk through this? Like, I think it's a lot less obvious this season uh, on its surface as it was last season because the parameters of the award, of course, for those who are new, Azra Falani is a member of the cast on The Traders US Season 1. She's one of the newbies, and she barely appears. But as we discovered during our recaps of that season, her social media is truly wild and iconic, uh, where she is twisting herself into all sorts of poses, uh, and we love it, and we love to share it. Um, and so so the, the social media, she had a bigger impact than she had on the season of television that she was on, as Mac described. So it was very obvious. I, I, okay, yeah. Do you want no, to say sorry, I was going to say, should we mention... <laughs> Should we mention the the mispronunciation? Well, yeah, it's recently come to our attention that we've been saying Azra Valani, and it's going to be really hard for me to get out of that, but I believe it's actually Azra Valani. Uh, but I think for, can, for canon's sake, it's the Azra Valani Award, but we are recognizing that Azra Valani is the inventor of the Azra Valani Award. Yeah, <laughs> the event, the blueprint. She is the blueprint. Mm-hmm. Um, and so put respect on her properly pronounced name. But, you know, in 44, I felt like it was quite obvious because Maddie Pamilla, who was the first voted out, was doing a lot of great posting on social media about the season, still does, especially on Twitter. It has become sort of like quite a big voice in the Survivor Twitterverse. And that's quite easy to say, right? But here it's a little more difficult because our first elimination is Hannah, who I would love to give it to, but mm-hmm. she's not on social media. Um, I think that Brandon is a contender. Uh, I was going to say, so let's let's social media. let's put our short list together now. Yeah, I think Brandon is on the short list. Okay, I think that Caleb could be on the short list. Okay, I think that Kelly has to be on the short list. Okay. And everybody after that made too much of an impact on the season to be eligible. That's now, interesting. That's not to say that nobody's 
good at social media, but, and maybe it speaks to the 90 minute episodes and the fair editing of these people, but I think that everybody's contribution to the season of television they appeared on uh, is quite measured and sort of surpasses their social media stature. So I think that to uh, narrow this down, we have Brandon, we have Caleb, and we have Kelly. Mm -hmm. I actually think Caleb's out. I think Caleb's out because Caleb made a a huge impact on his season. I think he does a good job on social media, but I don't think the social media outweighs his impact on the season. Okay, fair enough. So with this, I think there's an obvious winner, but I think let's pause, deliberate offline and come back. I would rather give it out. Okay. How are we going to come back? (laughs) It's now or never. Wait, let's... Can you tell we didn't figure this out? It's so funny. We're both being... Okay, no. Now I'm... Okay, so I was trying to throw something out and have to put something down and have you pick it up. But now I understand what you're throwing down and I'm picking it up. And I understand how what I was putting down was not in service of what you were picking down. So now I'm aligned with you. Okay, yeah. Let's do it now. Kelly. Kelly. Kelly is the clear winner of this award. And again, no shade at Kelly about her appearance on Survivor, but it's undeniable that her social media activity uh, has had a huge impact, not just on us, but I think on the Survivor community. She's She is good at memeing herself. Uh, she knows what to share. She's good at being in on the joke. I think that she is leaning into the feud with us. Um, in a way that's really fun and it's gotta be Kelly. Do you think we're going to hear from Kelly? You know, last year we had Maddie make this incredible acceptance video. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I would love to hear from Kelly. I would love to hear from Kelly as well. I think that, um, you know, even if she is not going to proactively maybe make the caliber of video that Maddie made for us, um, there are ways that we could get her involved. Uh, you know, I find that the best way to solve a problem is to throw money at it. Uh, mm. Kelly is on Cameo, and I think, that, I think that we could get a response from Kelly. Okay. Let's put a pin in this. Okay. So you wait, know, are we yeah. committing? Keep an, so keep we're an buying eye on the social media because... We're buying the Cameo. There may be something... But I will say, if you're listening right now and think you've put all the pieces together, I guarantee you that you haven't. Because <laughs> we've got a twist. <laughs> there, yeah, there may be a twist coming. And since we're at the award portion of the show, mm. maybe it's time to introduce a new award. Because oh my the, God. As with the Lonnie Award was so fun. And I think mm-hmm. there's more awards to be given out, but I don't want to go too ham. So like maybe each season we introduce a new drop your buffs award until, you know, at some point we're handing out awards to every, you know, everybody gets a trophy. Uh, but for now we're going to introduce a second award. I'm shaking. Evan, what was the title of that award? <laughs> okay. So it, it's different verbally than it is in writing. Mm-hmm. So we'll first say the verbal which is, I believe this is the, um, <laughs> I'm just trying, okay. It's the Colleen Haskell Award for Finish Me. 
It's the Colleen Haskell Award in serving k- ungeniality. Yes. Serving so C actually, dot 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 on geniality. On geniality. Yeah. But we need to come up with, wait, we need to canonically, is it, so in terms of how it gets said in the award show, there's two uh-huh. options. We can do serving C ontology. Or wait, excuse me. <laughs> nope. <laughs> serving ontology. C on geniality. Or it can be serving C on geniality. I think it's C. Okay, yeah. so the Colleen Haskell Award for serving c- ungeniality. Yes. Who are we giving out the award right now? I think we're giving it out right now. Okay. And I think there's a clear winner. I don't even think we need to narrow it down. There is somebody on this cast who typifies congeniality and mm. has really reinvigorated my excitement about a certain type of casting that I think we haven't seen in a little while, which is quirky and fun, but not sort of like over the edge like Carolyn. And that's not a knock against Carolyn. I love Carolyn. But it's just like a little kooky in the way that Courtney in Survivor Panama was kooky. And Mm. I think we've got a great person to fill that role. And that is, of course, three, two, one... Kendra. 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 Which, by the way, we've never touched down on the fact that Kendra is also the name of a vampire slayer. Yes. Have Slay. we mentioned this? We have not mentioned that. Okay, crazy. Because we've never had a Buffy on Survivor, and we've never had a Faith on Survivor, but we've got a Kendra. Uh, well, Kelly might not be here to accept her award today. Um, maybe she'll be able to accept her award in the future. But please, welcome to the stage. Oh my God. <laughs> from Survivor 45, Kendra. Thank you so much, Evan, Sean, and the Drop Your Buffs community. It is an absolute honor to be the first recipient of the Colleen Haskell Serving Congeniality Award. Oh my goodness. Coming into this game, it was so important for me to be 100% authentically myself because I knew that that was one of the only things I could control in this game. So uh, I have so much appreciation for y'all seeing me through this season and I am sending you so much love and I promise to continue to serve congeniality in all the things I do in life. So thank you so much. All my love. Okay, and thus concludes award season. You know, there may be some follow-up. Stay tuned to the social media for that. Should we take some more questions? Are you done? Are you getting... I can do more. Can I tell you, I've like, I get like, not, I don't want to use the word depressed, but I get like a little like melancholic in the week between Christmas and New Year's. And it was funny because I reached out to you and I was like, oh, when do you want to record? So I was like, I've got nothing but time right now. Which is so weird. I think it's because I never have any time that when I'm suddenly given time, I'm like, what does one do? But I, but then you suggested we do Thursday. And for me, it was like, I was like, wait, this is like Tuesday, I think we just, and I was like, wait, really? That's so far away. Aww. Anyway, okay, yeah, let's do more. Hi, I'm Melanie from Sydney. And what I want to know is, who out of this cast would make the sexiest man alive less? I think that's Out easy. of 45? Yeah. Caleb. Austin. 
Now, the way that Melanie framed this was who would make the sexiest man alive list, which is almost like people's sexiest man alive. But I think what she meant was the survivor's sexiest men list. Mm-hmm. Do you know who I'm sort of like revisiting in terms of hotness? And like, I know we touched down on this originally, but like I've, I've got him on my mind when we're talking about hot new era um, would be Josh. From 44. Oh, yeah. Josh is hot. Yeah. And then, wait, there's someone else that I'm thinking of from 43. Oh, Sorry, like well, in real time. Ryan. 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 Yeah. Wait, I didn't realize that Josh was from Pittsburgh. Did I know this? Uh, I do think we talked about this. Yeah. Josh, okay. Josh follows us and, like, interacts sometimes. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. He likes the gay content. And I think he likes, I think he often likes sort of like our throwback content. Mm-hmm. So, Survivor fan. Surprise, well, get ready, because you're getting Dan in the chair. Oh, yeah, Dan on the chair. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Let's hear from Samantha. Hi, I'm Samantha from Chicago. Um, and my question is, even though you guys seem to enjoy this season, would you agree that we are kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel? I mean, I think this season's being considered exciting and a dominant win, but Jeff is having to call it the season of love and relationships because nothing really happened except Reba sticking together. And I don't want to get too messy, but I would argue that Dee was a little bit starless, even the episode she won. It just feels like the new era is still a flop and we're so hungry for iconic moments, but this just was not a good season. Uh, yeah, so would you agree us thinking it's a good season is scraping the bottom of the barrel? So, like, this is such an interesting take, and I do, I, I appreciate this. Um, I think there's somewhere in the middle, right? Like, I definitely think that we came off of three, like, mid-seasons, part- well, actually, I would say lower than mid, with 41, 42, 43, and I think you know, I think combination of recency bias, I think the fact that there were more memorable players in 44 and 45 than 41, 42, and 43. Um, But to sort of like, I do think that 45 had a lot of like moments. And I'm thinking about Julie waking up in the bed Mm -hmm. that we loved, Julie drinking from the canteen for a long time, (laughs) Jake's... uh, all of his, the, Jake with the flippers, Jake doing the stuffing the idol, and okay, Billy just shot her from upstairs. Um, like, I do think we got enough moments in 45, and also, like, I remember, like, you and I were like, there were a couple episodes where, like, we couldn't contain the memes to 10. Mm-hmm. So there is that. Mm-hmm. But having just watched the first three episodes of uh, The Traitor season two, which is like, operating at a level I'm like bursting at the seams like there are 10 memes to make per scene I do think that was a reminder of like what iconography tastes like and like that is clearly not the tempo or the temperature of Survivor at Mm -hmm. present so again I think there's a middle ground here I don't think Survivor 45 is like I think that we are definitely like hoisting it up because we are taking what we're fed, but I don't think we're being fed scraps. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I push back on Samantha saying that D was starless. I don't think that D is starless. I think that D is a star. And like I said, in my top 16 winners, potentially, uh, I think that D is a great winner and a great character on Survivor. And uh, I do think that, yes, while this isn't the Survivor I knew and loved, uh I, this is watchable. Season 45 is watchable. Yeah, we yeah. had a couple of rough weeks there uh, where we were very curmudgeonly. But I think as a whole, the season uh, is probably the best new era season. I do think that season 44 was a little more fun thanks to the Tika 3. But I think that season 45 really gave us a lot. And and I know that we like say the episodes don't need to be 90 minutes. But I have to credit the 90 minutes with giving the editors the time that they needed to put in some of those moments that we find so satisfying, like the Julie waking up, <laughs> for for example, um, and uh-huh. just some little character moments and, and fun things going on. Uh, the gameplay, a, a little bit predictable in the sense that the Reba 4 ran it, but I don't think that that makes for a bad season. I actually think that that tells quite a concise uh, and tight story that we're able to remember the season by a lot more than like some of these voting block, very like amorphous seasons of strategy. And I would say too, like 45 has the distinction of like having some really good early episodes, which I think a lot of even the great Survivor seasons lack, like between the Hannah quit and the Sabaya blindside, like there was a lot happening early on in the game. And I feel like, Again, recency bias, sure. I have a handle on these 18 players in a way that, like, if you asked me to name, like, the cast of season 42, like, you know, if it was literally, like, there was money on the table, I could give you maybe (laughs) five. Um, Whereas, like, again, recency bias, sure, but I do feel like I have a lay of the land with 45 and with 44. Um, And I'm I'm in agreement with you, Sean. I do think D is a star. I really do. I think that I... As evidence, I don't think she was a star throughout the season, but I think ultimately the sum of the parts uh, made for a star turn. Yeah, and you don't have to be a star in every episode to I be agree. a star. I don't need. I'd rather you not be. I point back to I don't think Parvati was a star in every episode of Micronesia. No, but is she a star? Um, Fuck yes. Is she a star? Well, <laughs> she is a star, and okay, she's about to be. Yeah. Okay, anyway, but wait, sorry, one thing, I know, I know, I know, but one thing on The Traders Season 2, if any show needs to be 90 minutes, it is The Traders, The the Traders Season 2 needs to be five hours per episode. In fact, I'm going to demand Peacock release all footage that was taken, but needless to say, I am not in favor of Survivor 90, The Traders 90, sign me, I will, I will form the petition. Live feeds. Oh my God. I know. I know. Let's not talk anymore about it. <laughs> it's honestly going to be like, Evan, don't talk about the Trader Season 2 challenge for me moving forward. Literally. Well, we can record the episodes anytime you want. Great. Well, I need to rewatch them to start. I know. Okay. Because I mainlined. Hi, Sean Ross. Hi, Evan Ross Katz. My name is Natalie from Detroit. And I love how y'all talk about some old challenges that you would love to see come back. One that I would love to see come back is sumo at sea, Um, like the 1v1 fighting challenges either over water or in mud pits or something like that. 
my question is, who would you like to see go up against each other? Like, who would be your ultimate matchup, both within the season 45 cast and or whichever you think is more interesting. I think this one might be more interesting. Um, season 45 cast members with more of like the old school legend cast members. Um, who do you think would be the best matchups? I think there could be some really good ones. Thank you. Okay, I'm vibing. Okay, the immediate come to mind for me is James v. Jonathan. Sorry. Oh, Jonathan from 42. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay, I was taking this from a different angle. Yeah, sure. Would love to see that. Yeah. Like that to me, because it's like, we need to think of like matchups where it's like, it's a who could win. Totally. So I was thinking, because we're talking 45, I was thinking, first, like, let's name a pair from 45 we would love to see. Like, let's say this challenge comes to season 45. Who would you like to see go head to head? I like immediately go to like, well, obviously I want my queens to fight it out. So I think it would be uh, like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out who could go against Julie. That would be a fair fight, but really fun to watch. And is it Emily? Yeah. Okay. I'm into it. Yeah. Emily into it. Julie. I think, uh, D V Kelly. Oh, that would be great. Which would also be fun knowing what we know now. Cause they're like besties. And yeah. I like the idea of like bestie on bestie crime. Oh yeah. I would love to see that. Um, who would be good up against Bruce? Hmm. Austin? I mean, it's not a fair fight necessarily, but I feel like Bruce v. Katura, in which Katura wins, oh my God, would be very iconic. like, yeah, television. Because yeah, Katura could sort of like outsmart, like wear him down, let him tire himself out, and then just knock him off. But I, I don't really want to see Bruce like sort of like punch Katura in the face or anything like that. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a Katura win here. Um, Hannah v. Brandon. Hannah. Oh, absolutely. Hannah v. The World. (laughs) It's Hannah v. The entire cast of 43, and Hannah just takes them out one by one. Wait, It's very Buffy. Why 43? Sorry, 45. Or or Hannah versus the entire cast of 43. How about that? Hannah versus New Era. They just line them up on the dock and just send them in one at a time, and Hannah keeps knocking them out. Yeah. Good luck, Brad and Jeannie. Mm. Oh, my God. (laughs) Stop. Does Jeannie follow us on on the ground? No, she doesn't follow oh. us. Well, because like you have to remember, we didn't make the Instagram until like forty three. Mm-hmm. So big mistake. I know. Hi, Sean and Evan. I'm Neve from Sydney, Australia. Um, my question has to do with the appalling and frankly offensive uh, season ranking from Dalton Ross. Firstly, would love to just hear your thoughts about that, and secondly. Would love to know, will we be getting a official Drop Your Buffs season ranking? Thanks, guys. I need to address the <sighs> tut, Drop tut, Your tut. Buffs season ranking because a lot of people asked about this when we posted about the Dalton Ross uh, season ranking, which we'll get to. But I have to say, the Drop Your Buffs season ranking has always been a Patreon exclusive. And we did, <laughs> we did visit that uh, once upon a time. And did we? <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> it was a video podcast where we sorted all the seasons we sorted top tier middle tier and bottom tier seasons um and we meant to revisit that and actually then rank each of those 
like all of the seasons within each of those tiers to arrive at our final ranking. I Uh think we still do need to revisit that, but it's been a long time. And partially it's because I find it really hard to rank things. Like I really, especially a lot of seasons that I haven't watched in a long time, I may not be giving them their proper due. As you said with, uh, you know, Chris's win in Vanuatu, hard to contextualize that because I as well haven't watched Vanuatu in a while. And I know there's Mm -hmm. been a big resurgence online of love for Vanuatu, but I think the same could be said for many seasons. Uh, So... I think it's something we need to revisit. Uh, it will be a Patreon exclusive, but one day probably we will like release that ranking out into the world. But it feels like a daunting task. Yeah. And there's also like a tendency, I can only speak for myself here, but to like to be contrarian. But then also like there's a subversive me, which is like anti, which like tries to go against my own contrarian ways. Mm. So it gets like sort of heady as far as like, like, for instance, Heroes versus Villains is one of the best seasons of all time. But for us to put that at the top of a list is like, okay, another Survivor ranking with HVV on top. But to not put it on there feels like we're just being contrarians. So mm. it's difficult because a lot of the lists that are out there are accurate. Like we have several, like, you know, obviously like we don't like Kagayan, for instance. Like that would set us apart. But there are just some aspects where it's like we're all pretty much in agreement about more or less what the good seasons are. I think where we come in is we tend to celebrate what are seen as bad seasons. Yeah, like One World, which doesn't typically crack a top 20 or a 30. Okay, uh, but One which, World might be in my 10. Right, which appears I'm revisiting this list and I'm going to choose Dalton Ross words- list. Yes, and I'm going to choose words carefully here. So One World on Dalton's list, do you remember, do you have it open? I don't remember where it is, but I'll fucking tell you that I think that Australia is lower than Survivor One World, sorry. Survivor One World is 41 on this list. That's wild. So I have things I would say if we were on Patreon, which we're not on Patreon, but I'm just... Blinking my eyes hard at the Patreon survivors when I speak about this list. Survivor. You always say Patreon survivors instead of subscribers, which I love. Whatever. <laughs> they, they, they do have to survive to get through our fucking Patreon. But um, this list is absurd. And I actually think it's interesting because I don't think it was written trollishly. No. Which is like, it comes across like a troll's list. And it's not, but just to situate, let's just go like, so the number is at war is number seven or eight. Don't get me started. 45, we have Island of the Idols, which I think we are in agreement on is a great season of Survivor that is lost to time because of the incident. Mm -hmm. But there are so many great players in that season, multiple players that should be back for a returning player season. Um, So the fact that it's at the bottom is crazy. Yeah, and, and one above it, at number 44 is Survivor Nicaragua. Nicaragua. A terrific season has, of television. Which has the baby girl, Dan. Um, Hello. It has Holly. It introduces us to Brenda, one of my all-time favorite contestants. Nayaka, lover or hater, she is an icon. And there are so many great moments from this season. And you know what? It's, now is the time, I think, because... <laughs> I am going to divert from talking about this list for just one second to talk about our Patreon because, as everybody knows, we rewatch a Survivor season in the off season over on Patreon and recap it there as if Survivor never stops airing, which is the world we all wish we lived in. 
Uh, and this see, this off season, we put it to a vote. Uh, Evan, you threw out Survivor Kagayan as a potential rewatch because it might be fun for two non-Kagayan fans to recap Kagayan. Uh, I threw out Nicaragua, and I am sorry to tell you, Evan, that Nicaragua has won with 55% of the vote, which Wait, was quite be a shock because Kagayan was ahead for a long time, and then Nicaragua uh, pulled no. ahead. I'm, I'd much rather watch Nicaragua, so like, <laughs> I'm thrilled. I also really want to watch the season with eyes on Judd. Totally. And so we are going to be recapping every episode of Dalton Roth's 44th favorite Survivor season uh, starting very soon over on the Patreon. Mm-hmm. Look forward to that. But yeah, some of these rankings to get back to the list are just wild. And I know one of the biggest ones that people have taken issue is ranking Survivor Vanuatu at number 39 on the list. Yeah, I'm also taking Mala issue with is ahead of Vanuatu by one. San Juan del Sur is, is 40. I know it's disgusting. It's literally disgusting. Makes you sick. Yeah, this is heroes versus hustlers versus healers is 30. 30. It is outranking Korong. It's outranking all stars. It's outranking Gabon. It's outranking Africa. In what world? I gotta say, though, the biggest left field of this whole list to me is number six. The sixth best season of Survivor, according to Dalton Ross, is Survivor Cambodia. I wouldn't even put that in my top 30. I actually don't think that's crazy. You don't? Uh, Yeah, it would be in my top 30. I don't think it's crazy. I think for a certain kind of fan... Cambodia is held up there as like sometimes a top five season. I think it is a very exciting season, but it's like that is a a very typical season for a new fan. I think Um, like a new era fan. Cambodia is probably like the gold standard for a new era fan. I think Cambodia is is a really great season. It's just not what I come to Survivor for. This is so funny because my friend Michael, shout out to Michael Hoffman. So he's mainlining all of Survivor, and he's just begun Cambodia. And he voicemailed me last night, being like, "I'm gonna start Cambodia." He just finished Philippines, and he was like, "But I'm with I'm with new people who I'm just or cat, who have never seen the show before." He was like, "Is this a good season to start them on?" And I said to him, "I was like, I truly don't know because in my mind, Cambodia is just the Brandon season, but I forget the fact that like in the beginning, you have like Andrea, Brenda." Dawn, you like so many icons that I forget about <laughs> like not, what the season. That's not Cambodia. Oh my god, what's Cambodia? Cambodia has second chances. Wait, what am I thinking of? You're thinking of Karamoan, I think. Oh my god. <laughs> Wait, what's Cambodia? Second chances. What's that one? Is that Tyson? Wentworth does not count. We've got Kelly Wigglesworth back. We've got... Oh, my God. For anyone that drags me, this is a moment to, like... Literally. I was, like, shocked you were going that hard. Like, I know that you're not the biggest fan of Cambodia, but I was, like, shocked that you were going that... Andrew Savage is back, you know? like Okay, okay, father. Okay, 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 okay. Um, Okay, I'm not... Okay, I'm not putting this... Abby Maria accusing PG of stealing her bracelet. Like, some iconic moments. Okay, okay, okay. Do you know what's funny is... Yeah, okay. <laughs> Sorry, Billy's literally, like, 
listening as we're recording this right now and like sending me images um, of Survivor. <laughs> okay, anyway, so uh, my mistake. Well, you gotta give me yeah, credit. You need here, to follow like, up with that friend. You need to follow up and clarify some things. Do I think it's a good, like, I could see people getting into it as a first season, but it's like, that's exactly the kind of season that it's like, no, you need to have watched everybody's first chance in that season to really get the payoff of a second chance. Mm-hmm. But that's beside the point. Let's do one final question here, and it's a kind of a classic. Hey, it's Ross from Pittsburgh. Have the same question I did for you guys last season, which you so lovingly answered. We got our top three who would play them in the biopic. Would love to hear your thoughts. So just, I'm just going to come right out and say I have no contributions to add, but I thought I would throw this question out because, Evan, I know you love this kind of question, and let's see what you come up with. Jesus, that's so much pressure. Uh, it looks like okay. it doesn't matter. You could say anybody. So an immediate option for Jake is Seth Rogen. Mm. Because I would love to see Seth Rogen take on the Boston accent. Mm. I like um, that. So that's coming to mind. D. Um, okay, I would cast Rosalia as D. Oh. Her feature film Slay. debut. Slay. And then for Austin, because you know who I'm thinking of is do you know the actor Brandon Perea from from um from Nope? But I feel like he's not muscular enough. So Yeah, but anybody can like hire a personal trainer to get ready for a yeah. role. Yeah. There's Aaron Rodriguez from Only Murderers in the Building who comes to mind, but like it's not the perfect cast. Oh, this Brandon Austin. guy. That's a great choice. Why are you acting so surprised by every single choice I offer? Because I could never do this. It just feels so dismissive. Um, oh my God. Are you kidding, joking? I'm yeah, I'm joking. Um, it's not dismissive. I'm like genuinely, because I couldn't come up with one name. I'm like, oh my God, you're just pulling these great names out of nowhere. Well, honestly, let's just be us. I would cast Ozzy as Austin in the film. Okay. Yeah, I love that. Like, we want a star. Yeah. So, that's it. So, Survivor 45. Wait, wait, wait. But, can we expand? Because I feel like we have to cast Julie. Yeah, cast Julie. So, Julie. I mean, my sensibilities are always going to go towards Laura Dern. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's, like, perfect casting. No, I think there's something better. It's like I like there's a Kira Sedgwick. Oh yeah. Like <laughs> let's Kira like, Sedgwick. Like that is a name I haven't heard in years. Okay, well. This oh. would, this would bring her back into the zeitgeist. But then it's like I would love to see like Lisa Kudrow take on Julie. You know what I mean? Like really give mm. it some like character work. Mm. But then, like, is Natasha Leone as Julie? Like, no, we that's, no, okay. that's not happening. More like Natasha Leone's more Emily. Yeah. Th- oh, that would be great. Okay. Perfect. We've got okay. the movie cast. Well, I got to wrap it up because my stomach is rumbling. Yeah, I mean, this has been. We went long. This is like maybe our longest podcast. It's over two hours. Oh, Jesus. We may have set a record. We're we're coming for for our app with this one. Okay. Of course, you can go and check us out on Instagram where you may see some follow-up content with regards to award season. Not making any promises, but maybe. 
and that is at Drop Your Buffs Pod. Of course, as I mentioned, we are going to be busy over on the Patreon recapping Survivor Nicaragua. What fun we'll have. So if you want to get in on the rewatch and everything else that's going to be happening on Patreon very soon, such as the Traders US Season 2 recaps, which will be exclusively on Patreon besides Episode 1, which we'll put out as a little teaser, uh, you will want to head over to our Patreon. The link to that is in the show notes to this episode. And of course, we're on Twitter as well, as uh, as Mar- Maria from Survivor 46 just found out. Uh, we are on Twitter, at DropBuffsPod. So go over and check us out there where uh, I'm going to be a little more conscious about like live tweeting. Hey, maybe I'll like live tweet the Traders US Season 2 premiere over on Twitter. Well, we could really like take advantage of, we could like have some memes at the ready. Trust me. I've been thinking Expect about Expect literally 50 plus memes from the Traders <laughs> season two premiere. Literally. It it's might like, oh, we break almost need to start a new account. It's like, Listen, I know I'm hyping, but that's because I'm fucking hyped. It's truly iconic shot. television. Like, and I, yeah. From what I've anyway. seen, it's truly iconic television. So thank you so much for sticking with us. Thank you so Jeez, much for all your questions. So sorry. I so wish that I could have gotten to every question, but literally this would be a seven-hour podcast. But but how incredible that I you know. guys like send so many questions. Most of you stick to the format as we asked. You've been so diligent about commenting the emojis with every episode. When people called me poisonous, so many of you jumped in to defend my poison. I, yeah, we're so, so grateful for you all. Hey, we're going to post the picture of Dan in the chair. Um, what should people <laughs> comment under that? Shoes, right? Yeah, shoes. Yes. Is there just a heel or is there shoes? Um. Well, a shoe of your choosing. Yeah. Go what? Yeah. Let let people play. There are. There's three different shoes. You choose. Okay. Nice. Love that. Okay. With that, thank you so so much for listening. See you soon. Bye. Bye.